0: आमिशी स्रिभज होडी मनना इस्तम्बुल गीए जापान काबुल गीए शीखेची शहर यही रनना आमिशी श्रिभज होडी मनना फाते निये डेक थी जैई तुलिहें चिक्षी बीरियानी कोरोमा कोटोलेर दोरोमा मीले मीशे होए जाए पैरी सेर च्खें Greetings everybody, welcome to a new podcast episode, episode 28. Mm -hmm. Today's episode, we'll be talking about sort of the cultural understanding of food and cuisine and how that operates in our community, how that operates in media, how that operates in the newer form of media like YouTube, etc.,
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Material Analysis where we are basically food posting.
2: <laughs> this, I think this is going to meet Pinky's definition of fun content or whatever she was hoping for.
3: It came out of nowhere. I was
2: actually not prepared for that. <laughs> He's talking like Shashi Tharoor.
0: talking like Shoshi Babu. Like. Shashi Tharoor with food opinions. Oh God. <laughs> if you ever want to hear what we think about Soshi Babu, uh, you should become our patrons so
1: with me we have bella pinky and chundu and it is your host the wonderful mr why is he
0: talking like that comrade why is he talking like that
3: I think he's he been possessed by the ghost
0: of a cheap Shashi. version of Sosi Thorur. Yeah. And, uh, so, so I do uh, think
2: it's great because it's also like an ethnographic voice about food, like food culture, you oh, know,
1: like
0: well,
1: well, like, well, the, like I'm the Anthony Bourdain of material and
0: the,
2: the British
0: Anthony Bourdain. <laughs> <laughs> start with Anthony Bourdain because I am a fan so let's of... So
1: let's start with biryani. They're everyone's favourite thing to fight okay. about on. Online. All right. like
2: all well, right. to, to bring so, both right. topics together, I'd actually say that I was very disappointed in this India episode that Bourdain didn't really tackle biryani. <laughs> it was yeah, kind man. of, <laughs> he, he should have done better, which really surprised me. He yeah. went and had a vegetarian thali in Punjab um, and, and, and I think went to Kerala and had some seafood, which is great. But I was like, so, Dude, so, where's all right, biryani? All
0: right. F- first, first take on biryani, which uh, I think all of you would, the rice which is what what rice do you think goes best with biryani because i keep seeing people fight about this all the
1: time some okay. people like long red basmati i mean like my favorite biryani is basically the Awadhi biryani from yeah. mm. so, but is it like so the
3: the Lucknowi biryani or the Calcutta version of the Awadhi biryani.
1: No, 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 no. The Lucknowi biryani. Okay. I've actually had biryani in Lucknow, and I think it's way, way, way this better is, than what we get in Calcutta. This is
0: going mm. to be very surprising to our audience, but this is the first time I'll agree with him. My oh. uh, favorite biryani is also the Lucknowi biryani. Oh my God! Uh, and uh, I also like separate long rice in my biryani. <laughs> yeah. And so the one of the one of the
1: one of the hallmarks of a good Lucknowi biryani, or if you are making biryani in this style. Is that the grains of rice have to remain separate. So you're not actually looking for a rice variety. So I'm personally a Bengali who absolutely detests Kolkata Biryani. <laughs> oh,
2: <laughs> wow. Blasphemy. So, so let's let's <gasps> go through
1: the biryanis before we get
0: into Comrade Promot's rant about his take on biryani <laughs> will never shut up. So the first,
1: first issue is that how do you even define a biryani? And it's like
3: Wait, now Now we need your voice again. We need your voice asking, what is biryani?
1: So our first question for today is, what is biryani? Is it defined by the Is it (laughs) defined by the meat?
0: It (laughs) it is defined by the layering. (laughs) See, the only difference between pilafs and biryanis (laughs) is the layering actually
1: <laughs> the only actually, actually that's all no. okay no. let
0: me
2: let me inter, interject here and also say that one of my favorite biryanis which of course i i love the ubiquitous hyderabadi biryani but there's a lesser known biryani also called the katta biryani which is a tamil style biryani from dindigul and it does not layer a lot of tamil and kannada biryanis are not heavy on the layering they are much more about the sort of very specific set of spices that you use and of course the jeeraga rice so in some ways um i i I'm I'm, I'm, I I'm. will say that it's hard to pin down what the biryani is through layering or Technically, just the you don't even need,
1: need rice to make biryani. You have sebioki biryani from Hyderabad. And then you yeah. also have kappa biryani. Which kappa is biryani, like,
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah, from Kerala. Yes,
1: yes. A few days back on Twitter, I saw this kind of like poster, okay? A poster which was like, is this Cantonese hot pot? No, or is this like Shanghai hot pot or something like that? Is this hot pot? And they had like a thing about chaotic, uh, they're chaotic and a neutral, that kind of axis, okay. Yeah. And uh, on the on one end was literally KFC, and there's like this is hot pot. <laughs> 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 so 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 biryani is a bit like that. Like, you know, you yeah. can you can actually even like you know, people say that the biggest controversy that we see on social media is that is vegetable biryani biryani or not. Right, right. And, so um,
3: okay,
1: I've
2: actually
1: had you...
3: vegetable biryani and I will say that I at least what I have I was given as vegetable biryani, it was not biryani to me because it didn't like have anything that resembled normal biryani. Like it was not, it didn't feel spicy. Well, we're
2: we're trying to define the normal biryani, which is the problem. That's
1: that's, that's the interesting part, right? What's kappa biryani? Kappa biryani biryani is basically mashed tapioca with (laughs) With... meat and spices. Yes. So so we agree that there is... The the thing that we established is that anything can be a biryani. You should just call it a (laughs) biryani. What
3: what happened to us being material analysis, we become full on
2: like... Uh,
0: this, you
1: is, know, this is postmodern, identity identity. post-modern analysis now. Yeah,
2: <laughs> no, <laughs>
0: let, let, let's try to materialize. Like, I am saying that this is actually possible.
2: The word biryani is derived from a Persian word biryan, which means fried before cooking. So it can yeah. actually not refer to rice. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, it basically means to fry a roast, which to me is about a technique. So the actual ingredients are not as
1: relevant, right? Considering you have biryanis like that. biryani, yeah. A, that roasting is also not happening so yeah. or is all, you have so even even funny, versions
2: of it in Thailand if I know if I'm right there yeah, are yeah yeah, yeah yeah
1: so so one of the interesting fights that happened recently on uh, on social media was actually, this infographic, which was detailing all the biryanis found in different regions, yes, and,
2: and they missed something. Didn't they, they, they there are a lot of South Indians were pissed off that key South Indian, no, no, biryani not South Indians, that so
1: not the South Indian, not the South Indians. A lot of Assamese <laughs> people were pissed off by the fact that they mentioned that <laughs> there was an Assamese biryani called the quote-unquote, Kampuri Biryani. Huh. Now, the Interesting thing about this Kampuri biryani was the fact that uh, ethno-nationalist types were obviously, like, you know, the ones who are still some kind of separatist loss causers. They're like, oh my god, they're again trying to, you know, nationalize our food by calling it biryani. But, like, if you, like, just go a little more to the east and into Burma, there are people who are very perfectly comfortable with calling certain things biryani. But... So, but the thing was, the Kampuri biryani thing was kind of interesting. The the recipe actually comes, the first mention I could track down of that recipe was from this book by this uh, uh, writer by the name of Pratibha Karan, who actually had a very wonderful cookbook on Hyderabadi cuisine. But she Mm -hmm. also wrote a second book on biryani. And she went to SM and she kind of found this biryani, which she nicknamed the Kampuri biryani. Now, given her, interestingly, in that... uh, book of hers called Biryani. She also has a recipe for a Goan pork biryani. Now, you know, Mm -hmm. considering the association of biryani with Muslims, Mm. you would not generally find pork in biryani, right? But then she also like took a a Goan pork and rice dish and she also made that biryani. Technically, for instance, even Bengalis don't have a traditional biryani. Like, for instance, you know, it's now I've seen like since the 2000s, uh, mid to late 2000s, there's been all this food fight going on about mm-hmm. the Kolkata biryani being the best biryani and whatnot. Yeah, not.
2: Yeah.
1: But the interesting thing is that uh, you know and, and if you actually go to Delhi like if you go to Delhi you go to CR Park that Kolkata biryani thing is something that many Bengali restaurants actually sell. But interestingly mm. in Calcutta itself it is not seen as Bengali food at all it's actually not called really.
3: Yeah it's a very it's just a variation of the Awadhi
1: Biryani. yeah and and so, we basically so, call it, Google-
0: it that wajid ali shah having run out
1: of meat added potatoes yeah potatoes. Hmm. Uh, yeah so another thing about wajid ali shah's family's own recipe because it came out in the telegraph is that they actually didn't even use ghee they used mustard oil right. so so actually in bengal we do have a kind of meat pulao which is actually uh, which was made in murshidabad which was made with beef uh, so it was actually considered a more poor more of a poor man's Pulao, then, but it was like in within the city, so it's like a sort of like an upwardly mobile Muslim community's uh, pulao. It's made with beef and mustard oil, and it's called tehari, and it's like very hmm. very specific to Murshidabad. You know, really rich families would obviously make it with ghee and not with mustard oil, but then ghee was expensive, so they and they would never use beef. Beef was again within uh, elite Muslim cultures was considered a very sort of a poor man's meat because it links up to how you know, sort of this Bengali Muslim identity itself developed and the consumption of beef being very, very intrinsically linked to a Muslim identity. <laughs> because, again, as I said, beef was not really considered, like if you go back historically to the early 19th, late 18th century, there is not much evidence of beef being widely consumed in this part of uh the world and in fact there was not much uh culture i mean like cattle wasn't very common for that matter cattle are kept as livestock you don't really have that kind of factory farming of beef as you do in the west right you have no not yet yeah which get old which Mm. get old and then they're basically culled and then their meat is sold right yeah and that meat tends to be extremely tough Mm. (laughs) and it's kind of disgusting and that's why it's actually cheap so Mm. that that's that's why it was considered a poor man's meat and that's why it, that thing got popular but yeah bajidalishah recipe i again found out was actually made with uh, mustard oil instead of ghee and, and also i think was, there
2: is another parallel i think in hyderabad the hyderabadi biryani was actually made with quote unquote exotic meats because it was a nawabi food and they often made it with things like pigeons or like you yeah, know yeah. Uh, so actually uh, beer, the, 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 yeah. could,
0: could you could you explain to our audience what makes Hyderabadi biryani Hyderabadi biryani? Because we <laughs> do understand Hyderabad. what it's makes It's just you.
1: from Hyderabad, actually. Actually, it's it so is. Just,
0: it tends to be a much
2: hotter biryani. They don't use yes. any cream or malai, so it's not um, it's not creamy or rich in that sense. They do use ghee, though. They use a lot of fried onion, um, from what I know, and Which I think good.
1: I got a few thoughts on this because the thing is so shocked. Poor poor poor. <laughs> 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 no, no. So the this person I'm talking to, Pratibha Karan. She's actually married into Hyderabadi mobility. And, you know, interestingly, she also lists a bunch of recipes that actually call for exotic meats and game and whatnot. Yeah. The interesting thing is that within that tradition, you will actually find a great variety of biryanis and variety of cooking techniques as well. That kachi biryani is just one kind, the dumb kachi biryani is just one kind of Hyderabad biryani. But you have various true. other kinds of... Hyderabadi biryanis, as well, which demonstrate a diversity of cooking techniques. Now, this is another very interesting thing to me is that how certain places have had these regional signifiers, right? For instance, the Kolkata biryani, right now, which is now seen as a Bengali M, you know, for the di- for especially for a diaspora from, they tend to be the most passionate about Kolkata biryani and they will defend the aloo in the biryani. So, I would actually argue that the Calcutta biryani is actually not defined just by the potato. Because my favorite biryani and one of the oldest biryani restaurants in Calcutta, which is Royal Indian Hotel in Chitpur, That biryani, and it's a very famous biryani, does not actually have any potatoes in it. Instead, what they do is they actually have small kofta, uh, balls of meat kofta in their biryani. Oh. Interestingly, this was actually considered one of the best biryanis in the 60s and 70s and Shothidit Rai himself was a patron. Yeah, officer.
3: it was very famous but the, the quality is supposed to be fallen off a little bit and there are all these like competitions.
1: Yeah. More significant about the Calcutta uh, biryani is how the biryani is eaten and that actually does have a very strong Bengali influence to it because very rarely do Bengalis eat biryani by itself. They usually have a side dish along with it and usually that's some sort of Meat, meat korma, fried meat. So the most common is uh, chicken chap or martin. what do call chicken yeah, chap yeah, or mutton yeah. yeah. chap. So when, when we ever, whenever we go to order biryani, it's always biryani and chap. It's like the yeah. combination. Right. I think that combination is what's more iconic to Calcutta than the potato itself. And I don't really understand why. Well, there are have... two.
3: I mean, okay, like wrapping up, like before we move on, but I will say, like, if you're talking about the manner of eating, like there are two. There are two ways in which like the Bengali biryani is eaten. Like, one is like the you know the the more luxurious meal, which is with the chap and everything. But the other is also the quick like office goers meal with all the little like minor yeah. biryani stores everywhere, where people will literally like sit in the sun on a bench and like quickly down a you know like a little box of biryani before going back to work. And that one does not come with the chap, but it is yeah, yeah, also. That, that's true. it is is an everyday form of biryani consumption I think which is also interesting it's like and I
2: I do one of the things I love watching actually you know food videos on YouTube particularly food vloggers is actually the way they go to different cities and try out biryanis in different cities because this has now become a thing right which is that you compare these biryani like you go to each place and nobody really tries to pit one biryani against another because biryani is just pleasure i guess but um one of the things i do find increasingly is this sort of visibility that all kinds of biryani are getting on on mm-hmm. um, digital media and i thought one of the things we could talk about um, is food media right which has really exploded yeah. in the last yeah. i would say decade or so since the advent of
1: the internet and um, one video. thing is that you know tiktok and uh, that the, the death of tiktok in india really you know killed off one extremely fun yeah. genre which was very popular on um, especially in suburban spaces, which was basically this genre of mukbang video, I mean, like a sort of Indianized yeah. version of mukbang yeah. videos.
2: But then TikTok the videos are too small for, for a mukbang, right? I feel like the mukbang video is really the full 10-20 minute you know, eating feast that you have, which YouTube yeah, yeah, yeah. is great for. Yeah, yeah, so for, it's an Indianized version of it,
1: right? Like yeah, yeah, here yeah. Basic, and, and, and it's really funny because uh, with the mukbang, you have this entire spread and then finishing the entire thing, but here, what they do is, there's this housewife and her husband and they sit down at the table. There's this huge mound yes, of rice. and pepper. Yes, yes. And here's a <laughs> curious thing which I find about this is that uh, they also announce and name each item that they're eating. So they're yes. like, oh, bhaat jhol. And we know, jhol. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And this yeah. like is no, and it my favorite very...
2: part of these videos is actually the first bite which they offer to the audience and they'll just scoop yeah. oh. up like a, a, a mix of everything and then bring it as close to the camera as possible, which I find very strange and somewhat off-putting because it's, it's very reminiscent <laughs> of your mother
0: trying to okay. face Um okay, 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 um, <laughs> Since you have mentioned strange and off-putting and also food vlogging. I must mention the very strange <laughs> and interesting face of Mark Wiens oh, yes. whenever he does a food blog. Oh, Every food is of course mm, delicious yeah, if Mark mm, is eating it. Spicy. And then he yeah, takes okay. that
1: face. And no, body. and the head
2: tilt. Have you noticed the head uh, tilt? Uh, the tilt.
1: <laughs> the and and the he, sh- he
2: nods and his head face. up and down.
1: And he nods his head up and down with a really creepy smile. Doing.
2: He's someone who's seriously obsessed with food, I think. Which I I don't know. I'm partly in admiration of because he's clearly making a career out of it going across the world and, yeah. you know, making these videos. His latest series in Mexico is now available as a series on Amazon Prime. So it's clearly, yes. you know, transferring he across extremely, channels.
0: He's extremely famous. Yeah. And it's not just him, like there are three food channels on YouTube which have yeah. an almost unshakable dominance over this genre. Yeah. And uh to a point where these people are like, for example, the government of Kazakhstan made certain yes, sure yes. all three of them <laughs> went to Kazakhstan. yes. every time they would go, they would have this one guy guide them around. The same guy, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. One guy by the virtue of being the helper of these three people yeah. became a celebrity on YouTube himself. This is a yeah, yeah, ministry official in Kazakhstan. <laughs> He's known across to him, so <laughs>
3: I've had a conversation with friends about um influencer culture and like consumption right and about like what we think about consumption in terms of commodities and things like that and I remember like she was telling me that like we don't quite want to put the same critical lens on food consumption in quite the same way even though it might include waste and it might include um I don't know like extravagance and all of that but there's something about food that just feels more hearty and wholesome and we almost want to like indulge people their food obsessions and I just Just feel like justifiable you are looking for the word (laughs)
2: justifiable
0: at the end of the day we are our biology and food is extremely primal like primal to a point Mm -hmm. that uh, you know aside from like there is a reason why these channels have exploded I am not just talking about food bloggers, although I can talk a lot about the politics of sort of what Mark wins or the Food Ranger channel or Best Ever Food Review. So Best Ever Food Review show became larger than Mark Ween's, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've forgotten what this guy's name is, but give he's me this a little American bit guy. of
3: a taste of a taste of like what the you know philosophy of these channels are like because I actually like this is a yeah. relatively okay. unexplored. Okay. Okay. Side I, I'll, I'll
0: try you. to explain. Summary. So yeah. Food Ranger is this uh, Canadian guy who lives in China and he focuses mainly on East Asian food. Mm-hmm. Mark Ween's uh, focuses on thai, Southeast Asian food and is very fond of, uh, like our comrade Pramodhar is extremely fond of spice and chilies <laughs> and, and, and almost addicted to like fish insane amount of uh, spice. Yeah. Uh, and best ever food review show Sunny right. Sunny is based in Vietnam so I was I was going to
2: say these big names are very global travelers right like you're looking at Mark queens and Food Ranger actually going across many different countries Um, and both Food Ranger and uh, what was the other one best food review guy is they're also white so they have passport privileges where they can just hop from one country to another and whatnot but I really love when South Asians go local and regional and one of the ones that I really enjoyed is especially because I love Pakistani food there's a vlogger called rana hamza saif who has invested a lot of time and effort and makes pretty good quality vlogs on pakistani food particularly street food a lot of great um, you know tours of like Pakistani cities I think he briefly goes into Afghanistan and Iran as well um so he's one of my favorites there are lots of Tamil vloggers one guy called Irfan for instance goes into rural Tamil Nadu a fair bit but very sort of street side uh hole in the wall type restaurants which are, which are great so I think there are in pockets of Indian YouTube vlogging that I find you, just do, as entertaining you watch
1: Adnan farooq I've
2: Adnan Faruk seen Adnan Farook's as well yes um Adnan yeah, and I think he does more. <laughs> really, he, yes, and there is a couple of Sri Lankan yeah. ones, but Sri Lankan vlogging hasn't taken off quite as much as yet. Adna, I think, Adnan so.
1: Faruk also like you know he does like collabs with uh, people from Calcutta, and another ah. you know, thing is that. Another thing interesting collaboration that happens is between uh, Bong Eats and uh, Spice Bangla, I think, which is like. Oh, yeah, yeah I, I haven't like- actually
3: seen Bong Eats collaborate yet, but I have seen their videos. And no, no, they so have. First time I ate Shutki much, it literally, which is like a, you know, like the kind of the dry, the sorted fish, which is very stinky in its preparation. And that's why there are like all sorts of like. You know there are I think like class and caste biases about who get who eats it and who doesn't but the first mm-hmm. time I actually ate it it traveled across the Bangladesh border because uh my mother's friend had prepared it she's from Dhaka and she had she sent it over uh with someone and so and I remember eating it and like feeling very you know like oh my god it's like this a neighborly moment you know like <laughs> so yeah it the, the Calcutta-Bangladesh collaborations are interesting that way. But yeah, can you talk a little bit more about what makes the Indian lo- like local food blogging distinctive, like gives it a character of its own? Chandu yeah. Should,
0: so, yeah come. One of the genres which has caught uh, a lot of fame recently in South Asia is this village food genre. I've seen this especially in India and Bangladesh, this sort of... Uh, channels have grown. And, and what this really means is that you have these channels where you have a bunch yeah, of... Yeah, I know. That everyone
1: knows what the channels are. But, like, everyone's seen the channels. But, like, yeah, what's so nice? What's great about them? Like,
0: well, explain great that. about them is they're always cooking in mass. So the, mm. in, yes. and so the emphasis on community, I guess. And, mm. like, making, like, a shit ton of food. And... Also, the the production value is, of course, low, right? You have very few people in a village making it on a very limited budget. But then there are certain memetic themes you see in these village food channels. The first village food channel which really took off was Mastanamma, right? Bella. Yes,
2: mm-hmm. yes. And I, I do yeah. I do love the food genre also because it kind of shows that cooking and eating are very immersed in a certain way of life, right? Like a lot of this cooking is outdoors using wood fires. Yeah. Um, yes. A lot of this uses very rustic implements to grind and chop and stir and
0: things like that. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and some of them is also made up, you know, some of them place to the village oh. utopian yes. sort of yes. idea yes. it's trying to sell. So you will have placid fields and you know, cat Battle, going around peacefully and some of them is a bit theatrical like yes, you will have those much. generic music at the background so there was grandpa's kitchen right which is basically you had this grandpa grandfather and he's now dead so now it's all sad and all, all that it, that channel masanama also passed away that was, was very sad i personally was very sad about it how yeah. old is she when she when she
3: passed away? close to
0: 105
2: 106
3: wow. yeah yeah,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. pretty much past 100 you look at them each of them has millions of followers like okay, okay. is this tamil channel which has these tamil farmers i think and yeah they are famous because every time they make something they grind all the spices fresh and i yeah. really like that like yeah. every type, even yeah. even like the Bengali
1: version which is like based in Shantini shantiton it's called mm. bill food I don't know if you yes, know about it that. yeah I've seen that so while they do while they are based in Bolpur they the family is actually a refugee family and what they've done is they have they've adopted some things which you can which you know if you know about how Bengali food varies across regions, you will see that they actually do use both certain very East Bengali things, Mm. as well as they do have certain things that are very, very specific to boom. you know, where where they actually cook inside bamboo and everything, which is like one of those things that are very, very rustic boom. And
2: I think this is is very common across the genre as well, that many of them are farmers and they're actually using produce from their own fields or like, you know, bartered with neighbours or the community. That one of the
0: Famous food vloggers we mentioned earlier, uh, the Sunny, uh, Sunny from uh, uh, the uh, best, best Food best Reviews. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. He actually did a survey of the village food genre. He went to like he came to India and he like went to a bunch of these village food channels and he cooked with them and yeah, it was yeah. like a interesting cross genre crossover as we say like yeah. and
2: I think there's something very core to this this jo- this crossover which is every time even people travel they're looking for some sense of the authentic right like yeah. the authentic yes. is very core like we want to taste authentic village food or authentic you know certain cultural foods and I find that search for authenticity both fraudulent but also something very innate Completely. like all of us when yeah. we travel yes. seek something like we want some authentic Hyderabadi biryani. like what is that right we don't know so I've seen yeah. like one
3: um, video of Mastanama, right? And um and so one of the things that I thought was the like the most striking thing about the video was there's a moment where she covers the pot and she just waits. Okay, she like just like <laughs> looks out into the distance, and the camera yes. actually stays on her for a while. And I realized how rare it is to see the moment of waiting um, yes. in any in any food prep in a video at all right that's always the boring bit you skip over but there was I mean, something about this, like figure of the old woman sitting patiently and waiting and i was like they're totally playing to this genre but it's yeah, bizarre
0: yeah. effective. So, so similarly like in the in the in in uh, grandpa's kitchen now that grandpa is dead they u- reuse like the old clips of grandpa like to create like nostalgia and pain yeah. like you will have grandpa suddenly coming and saying mix well and it <laughs> works like i know what they are doing yeah, and yeah. I, I am a sucker for it I, I i cried when grandpa died i still feel oh. sad and uh like the grandson who is now running the channel he like is he's like modernizing a bit so now he has started to explain in english what the what the ingredients are and etc yeah yeah and, while like I like that because it's now a more polished channel, I'm also like you so know, sad. there was a bit of charm when like it wasn't. But going from the Indian or South South Asian village utopianism, yeah. I will go to another sort of rural utopianism, which we is You were talking China. about authenticity. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. And discussing
3: with that as well. One one question I did have about authenticity is um the grandson now that he's taken over the channel, is he experimenting with the recipes as well, or is there still the sense no, no, that the that recipe, must be
0: the, No, 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 no. Here's the thing you don't get about this. So this this tells me, <laughs> Pinky, you have never seen these channels, right? I have not. You haven't, right? <laughs> I have yeah. There's no so recipes. They, uh, they never make only traditional food. Like especially Masanama yeah. and and Grandpa's like, you have such weird recipes they made sometimes mm. and completely inaccurately. Like once they tried to make some kind of Italian pasta, it was wrong. It was comical because they put but like then... chopped bell peppers into it. But, uh, like you have in these South Asian village food channels this attempt at presenting an earthy realist sort of a thing. A very fake sort of realism. Like It's very obvious that you know nostalgia is being played to and mm-hmm. sort of village whatever presentation is being played to. But then there's a type of channel which completely Reverses that, which is this uh, very certain kind of Chinese food channels, which sort of present the rural as an uh, as an arena of perfection of beauty, not of earthiness of mm-hmm, or you mm-hmm. know like uh, not of peasants or whatever, but it's actually presented as almost some fairy tale sort of a thing. It's very very overproduced. Okay. Um, so some of these channels are, for example, Li Chi. I think that's yeah. how it's pronounced. Yeah. And and Dianzi Shauga yeah. and uh, and then there is uh, one channel called Xiaoshi's Culinary Idol. And uh, Li Zhiqian and Dianzi Shaoga they are uh, uh, two young women who yeah. apparently live in villages somewhere. Mm-hmm, uh, dianxi shaoga the protagonist is the in that is speaking a lot more than Li Zhiqian ever does. Li doesn't speak; she does act. She just does things. Yeah. Um, But Dianjia would often get into commentary about what the channel is about, etc. And in both these channels, you have these hyper-competent young women Mm. who live in these picturesque villages, which look like something out of a poem or something. Mm -hmm. And they would do everything. Like they would grow the crops and then they would take the grown crop and harvest it. And from that harvested crop, you know, you remember that old joke we used to make that what is authentic? And you would be like, oh, I did not rear the sheep myself which i killed like the biryani <laughs> yeah then yeah Lizzie, she does that she will yeah. literally rear the damn sheep butcher it store the meat <laughs> preserve the meat and then five years later cook the meat all of that would be in one one video
2: she goes she's into the carrot, forest so. and forages mushrooms and then you can see she actually suddenly will just sit down cut all these weeds around her and then weave a basket to put those mushrooms in while Whoa. she's foraging she's
0: a, she's a princess from a fairy tale all right yes she's a character which came out of some wuxia novel that's what (laughs) she is like the amount of fans she has hilarious like there was one episode where i remember i think she weaved a garment out of nothing like she no no, and then she used
2: she used flowers
0: to dye it and color it she 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 first plucked (laughs) cotton and and, and, and manufactured fiber from cotton all by herself yeah then she plucked flowers wild she plucked flowers little flowers and then she got dye out of flowers then she got the clothes dyed and then she manufactured a dress from that and cloth. also it's often pitched as a diy video like like you yeah. can do this too and you're like no we and then she, she she made an armine cape put the <laughs> cape around her like a 17th century princess got on yeah. a horse yes yes
2: yes. the video ends with her on a horse riding away into the literally a very high production value genre because many of these are also uh, they're also produced as you know it's very weird she never looks at the camera the camera just seems to be seamlessly following her about her it's very carefully staged and very carefully prepped out you know so
3: my question to you is do you think this is another version of authenticity or do you think it explodes the whole idea of authenticity and takes it into the realm of like
0: pure fantasy i think that is the fun part right so the third channel i mentioned there's a reason i mentioned that shiaoshi is culinary idol. what he does is that i am going to create all the things like he will like he literally hew a stone and then make uh, an oven (laughs) out of it like he will like He will like chop wood and then craft very beautiful furniture from it. Then he will sit on that furniture, go to that oven, roast meat on it, and then eat it. The thing that pitches authenticity in these Chinese videos,
2: one is is, one is is that the food is created entirely through homemade and uh, sort of local, very hyper local, and in fact grown from the garden type of ingredients. But it's Mm -hmm. also saying that there is a whole political economy around food that you can quote unquote authentically. Invest in and reap the rewards of because a lot of these videos are pitched towards you know young Chinese millennials being burned out in the cities and whatnot yeah, right yes yeah. This- yeah.
1: That oh, that's is, actually that that's that's point. pretty much now that was pretty much Li Ki's story there she's done one yeah. interview I remember yeah, uh, yeah her interview was basically that she was a city girl who went back to live with her grandparents ah, in the village okay, okay. yeah. Uh, and that stuff and but the the food
2: is the food in some ways is interesting because it is quote-unquote authentic recipes right because clearly it's from the region and it speaks to her because she lives with the grandma so the grandma is clearly telling her things in the background so it's there but at the same time it's like the staging of the food is so inauthentic that sometimes you're just not sure like
0: yes there is this curious mixture of authenticity and inauthenticity right but so you have these village food channels which are in, in very specific ways trying to pedal authenticity but not being authentic but also very interesting because of that you know, spuriousness in their authenticity. And you have these Chinese utopianism, whatever you want to call it, very authentic in one way that you are trying to show the whole generation of food right from scratch but also extremely inauthentic in the way they're hyper-produced, very beautiful, very elegant channel. But a third type of channel I've seen In very short, which I consider way more authentic than either of these two genres, which YouTube, the existence has made possible that you have a lot of these channels cropping up and become widely popular. Basically, people in their kitchen uh, who are like just them and their iPhone or their camera and they are like, you know what, I'm going to record myself cooking. We are just average people in an average city block in, a in in you know, a very boring apartment. And this is my kitchen and I'm just going to put on YouTube what I make. So there is that aspect of authenticity which is at play as well with sort of this more new social media, whatever
1: uh, makes possible. Now, one of the more infamous things on the Internet is the contempt that Italians have for Italian-Americans. Mm. So you have this entire thing where there is... All these uh, Americans making Italian recipes and Italians basically getting pissed off about, uh, you know, Americans butchering their recipes. Uh, You used to see them on message boards, on social media and whatnot. There's actually a very nice channel called Italia Spisita where you have all these award-winning Italian chefs making Italian food. And many of them, uh, you know, they are all of them making their recipes, but they also have this small series which is actually about dissing recipes made by popular YouTubers uh, and, you know, dissing traditional recipes made by authentic uh, by YouTubers. Now, one thing that people have to understand is that these YouTubers are basically obviously improvising. They're not, most of them don't make any claims to authenticity either. They're just like having fun, they're like telling you what you can cook at home and whatnot. And these uh, mm-hmm. Italian chefs, what they do is they actually, like, uh, kind of criticize every aspect of this. Like, you know, mm-hmm. they're like, why is he cutting garlic? Why is he putting the garlic now? Why is he doing this? So one mm-hmm. of the episodes of this that really got to me was the one with this spaghetti alia olio. Now, mm-hmm. alia olio uh, is, especially in the Bavarian, is, e is made with uh, olive oil, uh, olive oil, garlic, Chili flakes and you also have basil at the end and spaghetti is basically tossed in that sauce You kind of put some uh, pasta water into the pan so as to emulsify the oil and basically put the spaghetti Now the thing is that obviously that this is a very basic sauce right and you know Obviously there are people who put in things to make it more interesting So uh, in all of this stuff now you know there were certain criticisms of certain youtubers which were fair like someone Actually, like tried making spaghetti, but the spaghetti was cold and whatnot. You know, they, they <laughs> cooked the spaghetti in advance, and the spaghetti went cold, so it would kind of be mushy and whatnot. So yeah, those are understandable critiques. But there were also other critiques, which were about people putting different other things into this ali olo and whatnot. Now, interestingly, if you actually search up ali recipes on the same channel, you'll actually find some of these own chefs making their own variants on ali olo. Some Mm -hmm. are putting tomatoes into the sauce, some are putting anchovies in and whatnot. So the interesting thing to me is that there's this weird gatekeeping that's happening with this, right? That, you know, when Italians themselves in Italy are sort of like innovating on these kinds of food, then there is nothing wrong with it. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, then it's fine. But when it's an American or an American-Italian doing it, then obviously, you know, they're, being her- they're committing some act of culinary heresy. Right? I feel like and
3: even with Indians, um, it's like we like to make fun of white people trying to cook our food, but a lot of us take tremendous shortcuts because we can't cook like our parents, right? Like with grinding everything from scratch and, you know, using like mortar and pestle and blah, blah, blah. So it is like, I think people want to be judgmental about food like there seems to be this pleasure associated with being able to judge people about the way they cook and we all try to preserve a little bit of terrain for ourselves where we like to give ourselves some wiggle room but we want to, we also want to feel like a little bit like experts where we can look down on someone and be yeah. like oh you
1: don't know what you're doing right yeah yeah so another interesting thing is that a lot of uh I actually also wanted to get into this in nationalism because Yeah, and like appropriation
3: and stuff like that, right? Because there are lots of...
1: Yeah, that and nationalism, because nationalism was actually interesting because there's one kind of cuisine which has actually become sort of uh, earth cuisine in the West. I mean, the first Asian cuisine to get the status of earth cuisine in the West was basically Japanese cuisine, right? And you have all this, uh, you know, fascination with sushi and ramen. Now, the interesting thing is that ramen in Japan is actually a very 20th century thing. It's mm-hmm. a noodle soup, which is which. Actually, they themselves are very aware that it's a import from China. Mm-hmm. And sushi was actually a very working class food. It was basically, I mean, like just look at the concept, right? It's fish wrapped in rice and wrapped in uh, seaweed, which mm-hmm. basically acts as a packaging. And it's kind of similar to how stuff stuff like chicken tikka masala or butter chicken works, right? Yeah. In India. So mm-hmm. very much. Again, the butter so, chicken. Uh, you chicken will not
0: get a hundred dollar plate of butter chicken like. So <laughs> it's interesting with sushi that not only did it go from uh, working class food to elite food, uh, like there like there is a certain degree of like uh, you would have seen zero dreams of sushi and things like that right So there is a certain kind of Japanese uh, attempt at sort of making it really inaccessible which, uh, which is very interesting in, in like,
3: japan or in, the rest?
0: in japan in
3: japan
1: okay. that's the thing so, right. so we
3: in japan it's now become elite food
0: not yet yeah. no i mean like, like it's still made food. by
1: moms and everything it's still made yeah, by right. at home and whatnot but it's also reached a status yeah. where it's because in the US, I know thing.
3: that there are, like, again, to go Pomo, like, multiple sushis, right? There's the kind of sushi you will just be able to buy for, like, a few dollars from your university canteen. And then there's also, like, the more, you know, Yeah, that has that, that, that has, is.
0: in parallel, happened in Japan as well. Right. So, you can so, go so to, one, like of, the one things of those was... conveyor belt sushis where you will get, like, a $10 a plate or something. But okay. then you can also very easily rack up hundreds of dollars just eating sushi, which is like... Another a, another, yeah. another thing yeah. that is very
1: specific to Japan was Wagyu beef. Like Yeah. yeah. This, you yeah. Go on, if you go on very YouTube, you will see all these food bloggers talking about Wagyu beef. But the interesting thing is, beef... Japan was actually one of the countries with a beef ban until the Meiji Restoration. Because beef itself was seen as an extremely Western meat. And what had happened with the Meiji Restoration was that there was an encouragement of a Japanese society was encouraged to westernize very rapidly and uh, one way they did it was with food. So that's also how they introduced curry because what happened was British uh, ships which would be manned by Indians actually brought curry to Japan and then there was this curry tradition which developed in Japan. Japanese curry is not spicy at all. It's made with a roux and whatnot, so it's basically it's that. It's
0: a terrible, it's a terrible curry, and,
1: but weirdly, enough, <laughs> Japanese curry is like the most eaten
0: food in Japan. So the most eaten food in Japan or the class of food is not native Japanese, it's actually curry. And uh, so they also have, wow. they also,
1: even after the American, during the American occupation after World War II, another thing that became extremely popular was ketchup. So you also yeah, have like yeah. Japanese putting ketchup on almost everything. So, Another there is this thing that became...
0: on rice, which is literally an omelette on fried rice, which yeah. they eat either with ketchup yeah. or demi glace sauce. Both are equally disgusting mm-hmm. options. And, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so there is a but lot of... it has of come thing. to
2: represent comfort food. Um... But okay, like, so one yeah. of the things I'm taking from all of this is the yeah. fact that not just does it local quote unquote local ethnic food travel, but it tends to travel out, come back, get appropriated in other yeah. ways, import that, other ingredients yeah. into it, like ketchup. Like I'm just thinking, even the you know Indo-Chinese food, which is you know we all yeah. complain about how shitty it is, but it's just such an amalgamation of like borrowed ideas
0: you and borrowed.
3: Complain about how shitty it.
0: Is. I mean, so you know, you the, don't complain the, about it. the you know yeah. the. Just like we have Gobi Manchurian, the Japanese have something called Pasta Nepal, Nepal, Leportia, Lano, which has nothing to do with Naples. There no, no, and no it actually such... has ketchup in it, I think, like the Swedish yes, is tomato is sauce, yeah. Like there is no such pasta in Naples. They just made up a pasta <laughs> completely from scratch and named it after Naples, Pasta Napoleon. Yeah, so
1: here we have that in in Pasta is extremely popular in... Uh, is an extremely popular street food in Gujarat, for instance. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the, the one that they like the most is basically macaroni and uh, penne pasta. Like, they really love macaroni and oh, penne pasta. And,
3: and, so then in, yeah, and, in, in Indo-Chinese, at least like, okay, Calcutta Chinese, I can, I can speak to. But in the menu, when they have all these like, you know, like uh, Manchurian, Cantonese, etc. Are those actually... Do no,
1: they correspond in any no. way to the Chinese? No, 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 no. So here's one thing the Chinese immigrants who came to India were actually ho- were either ho- they, were, uh, they were from three ethnic groups the Hokkien, Hakka, and the uh, Tucho. T- T- mm-hmm. And the thing is that they actually brought their uh, certain forms of their cooking techniques here. And yeah, basically, yes. the thing was, but they did not have access to all the ingredients they had in China. Right, okay. so yeah, yeah, so uh, there was all so sorts of
2: adaptations,
1: some, yeah, adaptations, etc. Which, and then of course, you know, with I mean, you uh, know, a Bengali because again, this Indo Chinese culinary tradition actually originates in Calcutta because Calcutta at that point was, yeah, the city of the British Empire, yeah, so yeah. so the thing actually developed in a way where it's actually got very Bengali ways of eating that stuff. Yeah, it's actually very
3: much, you know, what's funny is that we think of it as a complete debasement of Chinese cuisine, but it's actually as local as it gets because it is like very much. It's as much
1: local as it gets. Crazy. It's as local as it gets. And I've seen, for instance, with a lot of hangups regarding, you know, quote unquote, you know, uh, evolution of food in India. But you don't really yeah. have that in say, I think, I mean, like what I see is that they don't have that feeling in places like malaysia when you also have a very large oh yeah, chinese yeah.
0: Population. So often would like you know the chinese food is not a thing china has remarkable diversity so for example one of my closest chinese friend she never ate quote unquote chow mein till she came to america she had yeah. eaten rice dishes all her life like rice and- wait and so noodles? no noodles Never. So the first time she, like, we both were equally ignorant in the Chinese supermarket huh. trying, like, we both thought that we'll make cert- a certain dish. And we were like, oh, fuck, like, you have not eaten this at home. She's like, yeah, I have no idea which one to buy. It is true this-
3: though, actually, now that you say it, you remind me Like this one time was a student of mine who's Mexican was telling me that she never ate a burrito till she was like 18 or something. <laughs> because she didn't used to eat out. Like she only ate at home and they never made a burrito at home, right? Because it's not fast food.
2: I'm and pretty like sure got... even in Mexican uh, restaurants, burrito is not a Mexican thing. It's an American Tex-Mex yeah. or whatever. What yeah. There's an
1: interesting video by Adam Raguzia on that as well. So like, you can go check but that out. I
3: remember it was hilarious because she was so... getting really frustrated trying to explain to me what like the kind of food she grew up eating. And so she just decided to type in authentic Mexican food into Google images. And she basically got like, you know, all the standard text. So another thing,
1: another thing is that there's this YouTube channel which has become popular recently called Chinese Cooking Demystified. Yes, my uh, favorite. (laughs) Yes. So one of the things that was very interesting to me is that in Calcutta, a lot of this Bengali Chinese street food is actually made with mustard oil and you know everyone thinks that that's a big debasement of chinese food and you tend to look no, down upon it as inauthentic no. and everything now here's the very very interesting thing in the provinces of Guizhou and in sichuan they actually do use uh, yes, you know do. virgin yeah. rapeseed oils and what which is extremely similar to mustard oil yeah. in their cooking
3: um, articles and uh, American articles about must- the health concern thing reminded so, me about so, mustard oil. It's not just that- a
0: concern, like, it's still technically illegal. Everybody ignores that law. We all buy mustard oil in America, but yeah. I don't know if you have noticed in every mustard oil sold in America, it's written this is not for consumption. Really? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's still illegal. So, we have, we have, so,
3: I was seeing that I read in the articles I read, they're like the headline was like this massage oil is actually consumed by certain communities. <laughs> yeah. So,
0: so yeah, and you know there are some not just Indian but like certain French companies which sell it well, knowing that it will be consumed. So it's hilarious, like uh, <laughs> that there are companies which are perfectly aware that this is going to be consumed, and they are openly flouting laws, knowing that nobody is gonna stop them, and it's pretty funny
3: so talking about authenticity right like one of so we have we've talked about recipes changing and like different variants like competing with each other but one of the things we haven't talked about as much as like claims over origin right and like yeah. once something has spread people wanting to trace it like back to its roots and one of the
0: most
3: ridiculous debate that took place was about the battle between bengal and Urisha for like
0: the and Urisha and... habit, are not good. It's an overhyped desert. What <laughs> you no, so, so you funniest.
1: know, the, 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 the funniest aspect of the Roshagulla debate is that yeah. during the time that Roshagulla was actually invented, yeah. it was uh, the regions were considered the same state. Basically, so, yeah. <laughs> so, so, I mean, the debate is actually very, very, if you actually look at it from a historical point of view, that historic uh, that debate is actually a non debate because the thing is Northern Orissa and Southern Bengal were again part of a cultural continuum and these were part of the same province in, province in British under the East India Company slash the British Raj. I mean, yeah. I find so, a
2: lot of these origin debates are very much stuck in this whole nationalistic paradigm when these nations here? never existed that when the food did, right? It's like become p- yeah. and, and it's like a micro
3: version of that because in this case it's not nationalistic but parochial but you know, it's, yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. It it's, right.
1: it's linked to national, nation. nationalism in the sense that there's a it's construction a state of a national- well, yeah. Really yeah. Do, you, do you people yeah, know? Yeah,
0: do you guys know that pulao is the national dish of Kazakhstan and yeah, the yeah. they yeah. invented. They solely invented pulao. I'm like, yeah, you, yeah, like as if it's so, not okay. eaten. I, I mean, but the British covered. British made chicken tikka
2: masala their national dish. So it's hardly like the national dish.
1: No, the other interesting thing was actually coming back, like, you know, which is why I actually spoken about biryani. Mm-hmm because again with biryani you have this massive authenticity debate going on with regards to biryani and you know ultimately you have to wonder is is it really that odd to put rice and meat and some fats and some masala together and like cook it in no, a pot. It's not. No,
3: and even with no. Indian sweets, like all of our sweets are basically like, you know, chana and <laughs> syrup. And so it's like... Really no, I mean, like there are PKS, the which, are, and... which are the... Yeah, 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 the yeah, yeah, of course. But okay, so just a couple of things that I, I found particularly funny about this debate. One is that... Okay, one thing that was actually interesting is that the way in which they were claiming the difference was... Bengal was trying to trace it back to one maker like one sweet maker called Dash. Chandra Dash no no B. Chandra Dash uh at like from Bhagajar basically whereas Urisha took a religious route and they were trying to say that it was created yeah it was even earlier and that it was uh part of the Jogunath, you know the Jogunath Mundir uh Prashad basically the other thing that is funny is that I don't think anyone was really asking for it from among the actual population this was like a government war for whatever reason because what they were really yeah it was GI get, tags the GI status, yeah, yeah, the geographical index thing, right? And once Bengal got its GI tag, they were supposed to have one, so they like celebrated. But like in two years Urisha got its own GI tag, so they became like known as like Bangla Roshogolla and Urisha Roshogolla. So it's like, <laughs> like like what was the point nice. of like all of this anyway? And all <laughs> for slightly overrated sweet, if I may say so. Yeah. So
1: and another another interesting thing is that, you know, even like with regards to I mean like this is one of my favorite uh, pointless food wars we indulgence flexing over how much chili you can tolerate.
2: Yes. Right? Yeah. I like this. I like this food. <laughs> <war>. <laughs> yeah,
1: so 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 the thing is yeah, and I love flexing because I can like go on money. I put Naga morich in almost everything, which is like one of the spiciest chilies on the planet. Yeah. Called Raja Morich Raja Murich in Nagaland It is called Bujolokia by the Assamese. Yeah. It is called Umorok by the Mete. And Ghost and it right? has
2: in and, English? Uh, yeah yeah, yeah
1: in Nagamore, it's actually cobra cobra chili in english and uh, oh, if you're oh. translating from bengali and uh, if you're calling it good which is the assamese then yeah. uh, that's, that's ghost pepper in many of these diaspora communities from uh, northeast india you see you know the provincialization of the chili and this chili becoming very emblematic of their identity mm. uh, um, but it's very interesting because chili pepper was not native to Asia at all. It's actually native to Amer- America. America
2: so, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: the Portuguese brought yeah, it over. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh,
1: chili, tomatoes, like
0: everything. Potato.
1: See like, yeah, like like without any without the colonization of the americas south asian food would be a lot more boring than it is i asian food would be, would be a lot more boring than like it is yeah.
0: you saying lot more boring it would be like unimaginable so let's not even go <laughs> there
2: yeah so my my proposal was that we end with something like what is your hottest food take which might get you canceled by certain uh, people and might get you with you brownie points with others i guess um, do you want to go first pinky
3: um Let's see. The thing is that I'm actually very open to like different cuisines like I am fussy about the actual cooking itself but not so much about the item but my the only like remotely hot take I can think of will be nothing outside Bengali's but it's it's that sheem is overrated. I don't And What is it? Sheem uh, help me out
1: Pramod. Yeah sheem is broad beans I think.
3: Okay yeah but it's like very beloved in you know in, in Bengali vegetarian cuisine basically and everybody like mm-hmm. gets super excited when you finally have a good crop of, of it and
1: people cook it and stuff like yeah, that have, people also make a mash out of it sheen butter. yeah
3: yeah I would have never mm-hmm. particularly cared for it but like literally that's my only I
1: hate I hate sheen <laughs> in general
3: though you do okay <laughs> well and a high five uh, but, oh, but, and also like with respect to the politics we've been talking about I mean I really think that the the unspoken consensus is sort of that it's not like there is no such thing as authenticity like there is a little something that all of us like feel is dear to us and we hold on to but at the same time like the minute we start taking it seriously it starts getting like shitty and like pompous and and then gets complicated so like we all reserve some space for for judgment and critique but I think
2: like ultimately we need to you know laugh at ourselves as we talk about authenticity basically Well, I think searching for authenticity is never a bad thing because I do think you know it's very easy to visit a new place and then maybe go for the most popular restaurant there or the most highly rated restaurant or something and which is a kind of lazy way to figure out what local cuisine is like but I do agree with you the moment you start putting criteria on that list there's inevitably all sorts of gatekeeping whether it's caste whether it's you know class whether it's um
1: you know certain ethnic or whatever uh, it's always preferences going to be a, a, a funny yeah because this, this episode itself was inspired by that incident where someone on twitter was getting mad about kashmiri pundits talking
0: about
2: rogan josh my my hot take is actually that gujarati food is redeemable but unfortunately uh <laughs> not.
1: gujarati, gujarati fish snacks. dishes are actually interesting but then like yeah
2: and gujarati omelets they have an entire culture of egg eggs oh my food god i've seen that those, those videos of youtube
1: making eggs yeah I like, my God, everything I is like a heart, heart, heart attack heartache. on a
3: plate <laughs> my hot take is that dhokla is actually not bad
1: that's a hot take
2: that's a pretty (laughs) hot take I'll give you that (laughs) my
1: hot take yeah Pramod you go what is your hot take my hot my hot take is pretty much that you know when you're cooking at home and you're making do experiment with ingredients like don't be afraid to put in something just because you know the recipe doesn't call in for it like I tend to use certain things um so for instance, I tend to sometimes in vegetable curries, I'd put monosodium glutamate, right? I'd put agenomotor MSG? in that. yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Yes. I'd also like often use, I often use fish sauce instead of salt. Yeah. For in my curry. That
2: also makes sense, yeah. yeah.
1: Another thing that is a very hot take of mine is that, you know, when you try, there is, there are certain inherent problems with, you know, talks of appropriate, because again, going back to that uh, entire yeah. Kashiri, <laughs> Logan just thing, You know, whenever a lot of these takes about food and appropriation are also very, very ill-informed. So just
3: quickly, say what the Rogan Josh, like what the accusation was.
1: Oh yeah. So basically, there was this Kashmiri Pandit woman who was writing about in the New Yorker. She wrote about her New York Times, New York Times
2: magazine.
1: Yeah. Oh, NYT magazine, right? So she wrote about her uh, her grandmother or her mother's uh, Rogan Josh recipe. And then suddenly, this Pakistani American uh, academic gets mad and says that, that, you know, Rogan Josh is a Muslim dish and, you know, you pundits stole it from the Muslims. You're an agent of the Indian occupation and whatnot. Uh, The only issue with that is the fact that Kashmiri pundits and Kashmiri Muslims, they do actually have two bits. There is a dish which is very, very similar to the way pundits make Rogan Josh. But however, Kashmiri Pandits and Muslims actually differ in how they make the same mm-hmm. recipe. Mm-hmm. Kashmiri Muslims do use onions and garlics in making the base of the curry. However, Kashmiri Pandits, the traditional version, uh, exclusively uses yogurt to provide that base. You know, you have this thing that, you know, white people are ruining Indian food and whatnot. Again, you, you know, the funniest thing is that so-called Punjabi food in uh, the UK was actually pioneered by sileti chefs, like sileti immigrants. like Punjabi is there and Silet is you know completely in a sort of different place. And you know what is seen as British Indian cuisine, although it, these are very Punjabi flavors if you think of the flavor profile is very Punjabi influenced the actual food is actually made by Sileti immigrants. So now, you know, there's now a big authenticity debate going on within certain diaspora communities whether this belongs to the Punjabis or whether this belongs to Siletis slash Bengalis. I mean, again, it's, it's
3: like, I mean, what Chandu said earlier about food being something like pretty visceral and like once you develop a relationship with it, it does seem to become intimate and primal in a way that then trying to look at it purely through discourse and ideology like I don't know it just never seems to fully add up or be like you know satisfying for anybody and I I think we'll just kind of have to live with that like I'm not saying that you know appropriation like who profits of it is not an important question but the idea that the like the eating or the making
2: in itself can be controlled like that I think is not a very so on that note I think um we've We've debated quite a fair bit about what we wanted to say, which is that food is sometimes a very fraught, emotional, personal, highly divisive topic, but it's also a source of great fun and pleasure in our lives. Um, I do think that um, we all kind of agree that authenticity is, a, is is a dubious sort of value to seek in food, but nonetheless, we have sometimes ta- sometimes just driven by it when we travel or when we're seeking out, you know, whatever cuisine that we feel like eating at the time. So I think it's it's there's a very sort of double-edged. Sword with seeking the authentic, um, but also defining it and putting boundaries around it. So, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, please continue to subscribe to us, share our content, and uh, everybody stay safe. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.